Amen. I wonder if we could turn to the Psalm 130 um, this evening. The 130th Psalm. We read just down through the words of the Psalm. The Psalm 130 and uh, beginning our reading at the first verse of the Psalm. Psalm 130 and verse 1. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen. We pray for God's blessing upon the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Now, once again, we have one of these um, psalms of degrees or psalms of ascent. And I hope that you know by now, but let me repeat it, that these psalms were sung by the pilgrims as they made their way up to Jerusalem, up to the temple on the feast days, the great feasts of the Lord that were held in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, of course, was the place where the temple was and where the blood was shed, the atonement was made. And so it is not surprising that when the pilgrims were singing their, these songs, that their thoughts would turn to forgiveness and to redemption. And Psalm 130 is one of the penitential psalms in the Bible. The other penitential psalms are Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, and 143. And those uh, psalms are ones that express sorrow for sin, and they ask for God's forgiveness. Martin Luther uh, called four of those uh, penitential psalms Pauline psalms, uh, the Psalms 32, 51, 130, and 143. And he said that these were his favorite psalms, and in his own words, they, he said, they teach us that the forgiveness of sins is granted without the law and without works. He called uh, Psalm 130 a proper master and doctor of Scripture, by which he seemed to mean that it teaches the gospel fundamental truths. It gets right to the heart of the human condition and what we should do when we come to God with our sins. The church father, Augustine, even supposedly had Psalm 130 uh, inscribed on the walls <coughs> of his bedroom when he laid, lay dying, so, as he said, he might make the words his own. And also the psalm played perhaps a little-known uh, part in the conversion of John Wesley. You'll know, I'm sure, the well-known part, how that he went to the little Moravian chapel in Alder Aldersgate Street in London, where someone was reading the epistle to uh, uh, Martin Luther's uh, 
a preface to the epistle to the Romans, and he felt that his heart was strangely warmed within him. But that was at the end of a day when he had also been in St. Paul's Cathedral, where the choir were singing the Psalm 130, and the sentiments of the psalm were probably still ringing in his ears when he went to that little chapel in Aldergate Street. And the psalm is often called by the Latin name De Profundus, which just means out of the depths, and it comes from the first words of the psalm. And you'll see that the psalmist starts in the depths. Psalm 130 gives us an opportunity to reflect on our own uh, response to our sin. How many people today naturally think about their sins as plunging them into the depths uh, and into the depths of their well-being? How many of us think of sin as something that threatens our well-doing? Perhaps we've become cavalier about sin. And many of God's people today um, seem to think maybe of sin as little mistakes or uh, we would talk about it as errors of judgment. But the psalmist knows what it is. He knows that it brings him into the depths. But you'll see that he doesn't stay in the depths because he starts low, but as C.H. Spurgeon said, he cer- certainly it does rise rapidly out of the depths of anguish to the heights of assurance. Samuel Cox calls it a tiny gospel announcing the truths which men in every age need to know. So here we have this psalm as a call to help, a cry to for, for forgiveness, and it's all about waiting upon the Lord in hope. And it is uh, a common experience, and this uh, cry for help And this looking to the Lord ought to be the experience of every one of us. So we want to look at the psalmist's experience tonight. And we want to see how this man cries out of the depths. And first of all then, I want you to see the psalmist's woe. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. And here's the man of God, and he's in dire straits. And you look at his distress. He's in the depths, he says. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee. The depths refers to the chaotic forces, perhaps, that we would say would threaten human life. And perhaps we would get the most appropriate image if we think of the depths of the sea. And he's crying. You could almost think of him in a deep body of water, right in the depths, right down in the very bottom of the sea, in the bottom of a deep lake. And you could almost think that he's wearing clothes that, uh, when they're wet, are weighing him down. And that's the image. This is the thought. He can't get to the surface. There's no way that he can lift himself up. And so the only thing that he can do in the depths, is to cry unto the Lord. There he is beneath the surface, no way up, no way out, and he cries unto the Lord. It's like the Psalm 124, and verses 4 and 5, and these Psalms borrow from one another. It says in that Psalm, then the waters had overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul, 
Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. And my, how many times when we get into the place of sin, we recognize that we are in the depths. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 69 cries out, Save me, O God, for the waters are come into my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes feel while I wait for my God. It's like Jonah who cried out of the depths of the sea. I cried, he said, by reason of my affliction. And he says he heard me out of the belly of hell uh, and he heard his voice. And my, how often we get into the depths. And sometimes maybe it's the depths of a lack of assurance. Sometimes it's the depths of an afflicting sin. Sometimes it's the depths of prayerlessness and our inadequacy and the fact that we often, so often feel the Lord. And maybe at times we get down in depression and we feel as if we can never do it right. We can never serve the Lord aright. We can never pray aright. And we get down into the depths. But my Here's what the psalmist does. He cries out of the depths. You know, there are people who would uh, say, well, I will cry when I get out of the depths. I will cry when I get myself on an even keel. But you know, the most effective thing to do when you're in the depths is to cry. It's to pray. It's to seek the face of the Lord. And the Bible is perfectly clear that there is no standing uh, before God when it comes to sin. It says in Romans 3, 10 and 12, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. So he's in the depths. He's no way out. And he can see that is sin is weighing him down. And his afflictions are weighing him down. And really we could say any type of affliction. It becomes clear in the psalm later on that he really is talking about his sins because you look at verse 3 there. But where he says out of the depths there, it's not specified at that particular place. So we can say that really it's any affliction that we have that we can cry unto God. So we notice the psalmist's distress. But then look at his desire. We said that he prays, O Lord, hear my voice. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Spurgeon said that deep places beget deep devotion. Depths of earnestness are stirred by depths of tribulation diamonds sparkle most amid the darkness. So here he's in distress, and his distress drives him to the Lord. His distress brings him to the Lord. He recognizes that he needs a hand. He needs somebody to lift him out of that place, and he begins to pray and to cry to God. To Corrie ten Boom, who wrote The Hiding Place, was sent to a Nazi concentration camp during World War II uh, for hiding Jews in her home. 
And she once wrote, there's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And we can bring our needs to the Lord in prayer. We see the necessity of the prayer. But look at the nature of the prayer. It says he cried with his voice, Lord, hear my voice. And that means that he's praying audibly. Now, we don't need to pray audibly. You can pray in your heart. The Lord still hears the supplications of your heart. But sometimes when we're in earnest, uh, we pray audibly. And it's a good idea to pray audibly (coughs) because when we pray audibly, it uh, sort of concentrates our thoughts. Our minds are not as apt to wander and we're able to order our thoughts better, I think, when we pray audibly. But here he is and he prays with his voice to the Lord. He not only prays with his voice, but he prays with vehemence. The psalmist there really is like a beggar's prayer. Lord, hear my voice. And he wants the Lord to lend his ear to what he has to say. And he comes and he begs to be noticed. He begs for God to look down upon him. And there's passion in his prayer. And how when we come to God especially as we cry out of the depths, we need passion in our prayer. We want the Lord to hearken, to hear, to consider what we have to say. And as we come tonight, let us cry with vehemence to our God. So we notice the psalmist's woe. But then I want you to see the psalmist's wonder. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities... O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And you'll notice that there is the wonder of the Lord's long-suffering here. And there the psalmist is taking uh, note of the patience, of the long-suffering of God. He knows that uh, if uh, the Lord does keep a record of sins, but it is as if the Lord is why he's not, as it were, marking iniquity. He's not (coughs) uh, uh, taking note of the sins so much as to do something about it. He is long-suffering. As it says in Psalm 66 and verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What if the all-seeing God should in strict justice mark our sins, then we couldn't call to God and we couldn't stand before him. He, he, he's not saying here that the Lord uh, doesn't mark our sins or that he doesn't record our sins. We know in Revelation 20 that at the day of judgment, the dead and uh, small and great stand before God and it says the books are opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to his works. So there is a record of our transgressions. The Lord does mark them um, in that way. But what the psalmist is saying, what if the Lord is keeping short accounts? If when he marks those sins, as soon as we do them, that the payment and the judgment is made. He's saying, if that was to happen, none of us would stand. 
There's nobody that would stand. We would all be immediately condemned. But there is patience. There's long-suffering with God. He bears with us, and he gives us the opportunity to repent and turn to him. And the psalmist here is under a sense of sin, but he's marveling at the fact that God would have borne with him in his sin. And we think of that, and that indeed is a wonder, as we think of how God deals with our sins in long-suffering and forgiveness. There's the wonder of God's long-suffering. And then there's the wonder of God's forgiveness. Look at verse 4. But there is forgiveness of, with thee that thou mayest be, said, be, be, be feared. God does record our sins, and those things are written in the books, and one day we will give an account for them. But there is a remedy. There is forgiveness. God has provided a way of forgiveness. And in his word, he has told us about the way of forgiveness. If it wasn't for God's word and God's revelation, there would be no indication about how our sins could be dealt with and how in any way we could stand before God. But here is the revelation <coughs> that God has given that we can be forgiven when we come in repentance and faith before God. And the psalmist is crying out in wonder, there is forgiveness with thee. And my, we think of how the Lord taught his disciples to forgive uh, 70 times 7, and that just means a perfectly enormous number. And you know, no matter how many times we come, no matter how many times the old devil comes as the accuser and accuses us of sin, we can say that the Lord forgives our sins. There was an old um, Christian lady one time, and somebody asked her, does the devil ever trouble you about your past sins? And she said, well, he does. And she, the inquirer said, well, what do you do about that? Well, I, I just tell the devil to go to the east. And what do you do when he comes back? Well, I tell him to go to the west. And when he comes back from the west, what do you do then? She said, I just keep going, because as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And what a wonder that God forgives us and keeps on forgiving us. And that forgiveness stands for all eternity. There's the wonder of God's forgiveness. And then there's the wonder of God's justification. Because, you see, for those that have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord does not mark our sins. He does not mark our sins. It says in Romans 5 and 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Romans 8 and 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And the wonder is that the child of God stands just as if he'd never said the marks of sin are not against us anymore. We're covered over in the righteousness of Christ. And as the Lord looks upon us, he sees that righteousness. And here is the psalmist here. And he says, If thou shouldest mark iniquities, who shall stand? But those 
who are covered in the precious blood of Christ have that right to enter into his presence and come and stand before him and plead their case because of the righteousness of Christ. Our sins are not marked against us. And the truth of the matter is none of us can stand before God in our sin, but our sins are forgiven and washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. We come like the publican in the parable of publican and the Pharisee, and we read in Luke 18 and 13, and the publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The, the verse means, God be propitious to me, a sinner. Or the thought is of a covering there. Uh, the, 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 God be a covering to me, a sinner. And thank God tonight, our sins are covered and they're washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. But there's another wonder here. There's the wonder of God's fear. He says, but there's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Now, it might be a funny thing here, a peculiar thing to think about the relationship between forgiveness and fear. But we do fear God because God is the only one who can forgive. When the Lord Jesus um, healed the paralyzed man, the Pharisees said, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And they were right about that. Only God can forgive sins. And that is why he is to be feared, because he's the only one who can make the difference. We see the sense also in 1 Kings 8, verses 39 to 40. Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and do, and give every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men, that they may fear thee all the days that they live in the land which thou givest unto their fathers. So we fear God. But there's another way in which we fear God, because when we have forgiveness, we fear um, to in any way hurt God. We fear in any way to despise the Lord and what he has provided for us. And we think of what it says here, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be fear. C.H. Spurgeon said, none fear the Lord like those who have experienced his forgiving love. Gratitude for pardon produces far more fear and reverence of God than the dread of punishment. And so there is that fear on the both ends. There's the fear that we can have forgiveness and that we can uh, obtain the forgiveness. But there's also the fear that we should in any way uh, come uh, to the Lord of forgiveness and in any way, uh, uh, in any way defile uh, our uh, adherence and our proclamation of the Lord day by day. So there's the wonder of his fear. And we see something of the psalmist's wonder here in the psalm. But then I want you to see something else. Look at the psalmist waiting. Look at verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they which watch for the morning. I say more than they which watch for the morning. And I want you to see the time of waiting because 
Uh, interestingly, the Psalm 130, uh, 30 there, its original um, language doesn't state the time. And it's interesting just to think about where it says there, I wait for the Lord. The timing there is a little bit ambiguous. It could be any tense. For example, it could be past tense. Uh, I have waited for the Lord. And if it was at past tense, what he's saying here then is, well, I have waited for the Lord, and I found the Lord. And the Lord has been with me. And as I waited for the Lord before and have been successful, so I can wait upon the Lord right now. So there is that sense, if it was past tense, if it is present tense, I am waiting for the Lord. There is the sense there of his uh, poignancy, of, of, of his uh, desperation, his eager and expectation here as he waits for God. I'm waiting for you, Lord. I'm waiting for you to come. As we sit here tonight, we're waiting for the Lord to come. And there's that sense, if it's present tense, or if it was future tense, I will wait for the Lord. And he's um, waiting for the God who will graciously redeem him. And the wait there, really, it opens it to all times. I think that's really what we should do. It has the meaning of all times. We wait for God at all times. At all times, past, present, future, it should be that in our lives we are awaiting people. And you see the time of his waiting. But then look at the target of his waiting. What is he waiting for? He says, I wait for the Lord. He's waiting for the God of heaven, for Jehovah or Yahweh, whichever you prefer. This is God's personal name. He's waiting for the covenant God. He's drowning in the depths of despair. But he's looking to the one who said, I am that I am, the sovereign God of all, the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that he asks or thinks. And here he is in severe uh, distress, but he's waiting for the one, the only one, who can really help him. And that's who we're waiting upon tonight in the midst of all that we face in this day and generation we wait for our God because he's the only one who can meet us at the point of our need. And then look at the thirst of his waiting. You'll notice the poetic um, language, the description of waiting there. And he repeats the word uh, wait there a number of times. In the, If you look at verse 1 or verse 5 there, he uh, uses it a couple of times. And then in verse 6, my soul waiteth for the Lord. So there you have the, the repetition of the thought of weeping. And then there's the repetition of the phrase, um, I, I, we, uh, I, my soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. And there is that sense, really what that is, the, rep the repetition is a poetical device to give a sense of longing, a sense of thirst, a sense of expectation. And that's really what he is doing here. And he's looking for the Lord to come. You think of the watchman. And the watchman, if you 
speak to somebody who's been a watchman, very often the thing that they're looking for and waiting for is for the morning. They long for the morning, but the morning always comes. The morning always comes. And here is the beautiful image. He's waiting for the Lord more than they that wait for the morning. But the morning always comes. And the Lord will be there to help us and to meet us at the point of our need. Now, this is a song of ascent, and you'll notice that this is near the end of the songs of ascent. And we think of how here's the psalmist hope. It's in the Lord, in the forgiveness. And uh, we think of how the, the, uh, uh, there is sort of like a progression in these psalms. But here he is now with this sense of expectancy. And he's waiting for the Lord, looking to the Lord. But there's one more thing that I want you to see here. And that's the psalmist's witness. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from his iniquities. And now it seems as if the psalmist turns from his waiting, and he begins to uh, really pray, let Israel hope in the Lord, uh, for with the Lord there is plenteous, there's mercy, and with him is plenteous uh, redemption. And he gives this testimony, he shall redeem Israel from his iniquities. So there's a sense there of the psalmist witness. He's telling and encouraging his fellow Israelites to hope in the Lord. He's encouraged them to come with expectation to God. And really here is his witness. This is his message that he's bringing to these people. And isn't that the focus of the witness of God's people we uh, point to the Lord. That's what he's doing here. We're not pointing to church or pointing to man or preacher. We're pointing to the Lord. It's the Lord that is the one upon whom the focus of our witness rests. We point to the Lord. But there are three things about the Lord that he really points to and witnesses about. Uh, first of all, we have the Witness of the Lord's mercy. Look at verse 7 there. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. There's mercy. The word mercy there is a word in the Hebrew that uh, means covenant love or covenant mercy. In Psalm 86 verse 15 it says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and in truth. God is abounding in love, and he's abounding in faithfulness. He's faithful to his covenant. He's faithful to his promise. He's faithful to his people, unfailing in his love. First Corinthians 13 and 8 says, Charity never faileth. Human love can come and go, but the love of God never will let us down. And we witness to that. We tell people about the unfailing love and mercy and compassion and covenant goodness of God. But then there's something else. We witness to not only the God of mercy, but the God of redemption. He says, with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And we think of 
the redemption that is foretold in the sacrifices of the Old Testament. This is where the children of Israel here were going as they were singing this song. This is why they begin to sing the song. They're thinking about forgiveness and redemption, as particularly when they would go to the feast or the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur. They would go and they would think about how the uh, sacrifice would be made and the blood would be sprinkled and the goat would be laid away out into the wilderness, indicating that the sins were taken away and by they were rejoicing in the redemption of God. In Romans 3 and 24, we think of Romans 3 and 23, a well-known scripture, but verse 24 is a wonderful scripture too. It says in 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then it goes on, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Lord is plenteous in redemption. It's lavish. It's overflowing. Grace greater than all our sin. And that grace is increased more and more as we go along. We think of how he's a God of mercy and a God of uh, redemption. But then you'll notice that he's the God of compassion. We witness the God of compassion. He says, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And the Lord, he says, the Lord, really what he's saying is, and he, the Lord himself, will redeem Israel. Israel from all his iniquities. We think of how the Lord himself came to be our Redeemer, to die on the center cross of Calvary and shed his blood on our behalf. He, God, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord comes himself. And it's a wonderful thing then too to Remember again that he redeems us from all our iniquities. If there was anything left, we wouldn't be saved. If there was anything standing against us, we would be condemned. But he uh, redeems us from all our iniquities. The Psalm 103, we think of how it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. And all our iniquities are forgiven in Christ. But we are witnesses to the grace of God. And we need to be witnesses like the psalmist was. You think of the men, the lepers, who were outside the city of Samaria when the Assyrians came to besiege. And you remember how the Lord sent his angel and uh, scattered the Assyrians and scared them, and they ran away, and the four lepers had come into the camp of the Assyrians uh, hoping to get some food and sneak out uh, some food. And they found that the camp was empty, and they knew that the uh, Samaritan people or the Israelites in the city of Samaria, were there and they thought they were under siege, whereas there was no siege anymore. And they said, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. 
And they said, we've got to tell. We've got to tell about the God of mercy. We've got to tell about the God of redemption. We've got to tell about the God of compassion. And tell about the great things that the Lord has done for us. So we see the psalmist here, and we see something of the psalmist's woe. We see something of the psalmist's wonder as he thinks about what God has done as forgiveness. We think about the psalmist waiting as he waits upon God, but also we think about the psalmist's witness as he tells about these things and encourages Israel to hope in God. May God help us to be like the psalmist in these days. Amen. May God write his word upon our hearts. Let's just unite together at the throne of grace in prayer and do remember the missions that are going on. Um, There have been some precious souls saved up in uh, Portland, Own, the mission there, and also in um, the mission over in Rathfryland in association with the Ardara Church. And then we do pray for the mission in in Balnehens that's going on at the present time. So pray for God's blessing. Pray for the uh, convention, the conference up in Balamina as well. And for other meetings maybe that I don't know about, but maybe you will know about better or I, I haven't remembered. But let's just remember those things. Remember our missionaries and remember land. Pray for the meetings and pray for the uh, children. Uh, No children's meeting tonight, but we pray that God will bless the different meetings. So let's just unite together at the throne of grace and prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank thee for thy precious word to our souls tonight. We thank thee for the psalmist's woe and how out of the depths he cried to thee. And Lord, we thank thee for the psalmist's wonder as he discovered that there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. And then we thank thee for the psalmist waiting, and how he waited upon the Lord uh, more than they that wait for the morning. O God, how in the night time sometimes we long for the morning, and the psalmist longed for the Lord more than he longed for the morning. And we pray that something of that may be in our hearts. And then we think of the psalmist's witness, as he pointed others to the hope of Israel. And our God, we pray that thou wouldst enable us to be like this. We thank, Lord, of the glory of the psalm, and we thank thee for the preciousness of thy word. Be with us now. Remember those who are in hospital. Remember all the things that we have mentioned already in the place of prayer, and help us to seek thy face tonight. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.